it's a new year, 2018. I don't know how you feel so far. I feel lethargic. Anybody else? Like, I mean, we kind of, we get back into school, but then school's canceled, and then we, do we have school? Do we not have school? Are we supposed to start working? Are we still relaxing? Or what are we doing? And so, so far, um, I feel real lethargic. I don't know how everybody else feels. But, but with a new year comes all these different things, including New Year's resolutions. So, um, you know, I'm going to eat less, work out more, weigh less. I'm going to spend more time with family, spend less money, save more money. I've got it all down. It's all, I'm all ready to go. I don't know if other people feel the same way, but it seems like with New Year, you have New Year's resolutions, or you kind of, a lot of times people will do a word for the year. Like I know last year, Sarah, word for the year was seek. She just really wanted to seek the Lord. Or maybe you have a, a word for the year, you want peace, or you want rest, or whatever it is. Like, I think... With New Year comes us like kind of standing at the edge of the past and looking into the future, and it kind of has this question in us of what comes next. See, people feel like that, like kind of like what comes next. And and you may be looking to the New Year with excitement, anxiety, relief, maybe optimism or maybe pessimism. Um, But I think that it has, the New Year has all of us kind of asking the question of what comes next. But I think that that question is something that we ask all the time. You know, like I remember like you get done with middle school, you're rounding the corner and you're thinking, what's next? What's it going to look like when I go to high school? Or maybe, you know, you're in high school and you're thinking, what's it going to look like when I'm the senior? Or what's it going to look like when I graduate? And what am I going to do after I graduate? What comes next? I think that's the question that we just always are asking ourselves. I think there's, you know, you get, you get a little bit older and you find someone that you like and you're like, what's coming next with our relationship? Are we going to get married? Are we going to have kids? And, and you just, we face this what comes next question all the time. Uh, maybe like you, you got a job and you don't like your job. I mean, I don't think there's many people who do like their job. That's why they call it a job. But, but you, you think through what comes next? What's after this? Or maybe you, you, know, you go to the doctor and you get news from the doctor. And you think, well, what's next? Or you, um, you lose a job. What comes next? Or your bills just keep stacking up and you feel like you can't get ahead of them and you ask that question of what comes next. I think that that is a question that we all face, not only in the new year, but we face it all the time of what comes next. It seems like we're not really satisfied with where we're at. And all of us would like to retire but then you retire and you probably start thinking, what comes next? Like, do I actually have enough money to, to get me through this? And then we all have to kind of ask the question, what's next? Like, we all, none of us here will live forever. So we even have to ask kind of what comes next in regards to when we leave this earth. So this question of what comes next is something that I think all of us face day in and day out. And with that... I think that there's, if there was ever a question that, is, I seem, that seems to me like is behind the words throughout the Bible, it's what comes next. You know, you can trace it all the way through, like God creates everything, then there's the fall, and then well, what comes next, and there's all these things pointing forward to someday that there's going to be something that fixes it, and you're kind of wondering, well, what is it that's going to come next, and how is it going to look, and what's going to happen, and, and then Jesus comes on the scene. And can you imagine if you're one of the disciples, there's this guy, he shows up, and he says, I'm the coming king. They, they were looking forward to a king taking over and like establishing a kingdom again and it, it being this wonderful, awesome thing. And so they're super excited and, and they're following Jesus everywhere he goes. And he's healing people. He's doing miracles. And you're like, this is it. This is, this is good. This is what's coming next. This is awesome. And then seemingly out of nowhere, he's betrayed. 
by one of your own people. And he's tried by night. And then he's sentenced to death. And the disciples scatter. He gets put on a cross and he dies. Can you imagine if you're one of the disciples, like, what comes next? Did I waste three years of my life? It would be, have to be things that you would be questioning. Did I, did I waste three years of my life? Did I, um, what do I do? What comes next? I think that the disciples had to have been thinking what comes next. And that what comes next happens for, like I said, us as individuals, it, help, it happens for even for businesses. I think businesses are constantly looking at, well, what do we do next? What's next? And I think it's the same for churches of what comes next. I think that if I'm, if I'm real honest, I think the leadership team as a whole, if we're honest, we would say that I think even what comes next is a question that we as a church have to ask ourselves. We've been a church for, for three, just over three years we started with one house church, and now there's five house churches. And house church, wants, that's what we really, way that we want really people to be discipled and to grow in their relationship with the Lord. We've been doing these ministries since we started. Been doing blessings in a bag. Been doing empower. We've been, you know, had um, uh, many other relationships where people have come in and have done things. And we've done all these things for years, right? But what's going to come next for us as a church? When we first started, we had two nickels that we could rub together. That was all the money we had. And thankful to for how people give we have like a couple months of reserve and that's exciting but then we start looking that this building is around that 20 25 year old and it, it, the roof's original we have seven furnaces and seven air conditioners that are all original and you start thinking well what, what's going to come next like where are we headed what's going on and then you insert back into the the disciples that jesus has died and you think, what comes next? Well, the awesome thing is, is that he doesn't stay dead. Three days later, he rises again. And then you talk about the question of what comes next. Like, this guy was dead, and now he's alive. What does that mean? Well, the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John kind of tell all about Jesus' life. And then he dies, and then he rises again. And then it ends, and then the book of Acts picks up. And it seems fitting to me that with us as individuals, with us as a church, really kind of stand on the edge of asking what comes next. It seems wise that we would go through a book that really begs that question of what comes next. The book of Acts is what we as a church have decided that we are going to really go through for the next several months. Um, probably at least now to May, we're going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to see what does God want to teach us because really Jesus died, he rose again, and then the book of Acts just begs the question of what comes next. And really ultimately it, it, it goes from Jesus dies and rises and no one knows of Christianity all the way to today where you name the name Jesus and people have some idea of what you're talking about. Almost everywhere, but not everywhere. So that's what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through the book of Acts. Um, and with that, I want to tell you a couple things. One, um, I was in college. I went to Wright State. My buddy and I, Ryan, we sat next to each other in psychology class. And we had decided, we came up with this perfect idea. He would take notes for half of the class and while I slept. And then I would sleep and he would take notes. And we thought, we had this down pat. This is going to be awesome. 
we get to the first exam. We're studying for the first exam, and we exchange notes. And, and here's what his notes said. The... And what we found is that both of us hated the class so much that we would fall asleep, and as we were writing our letters, we would just scribble off the page. And so we both failed that first test. And so, um, but I tell you that because today I think it's going to be a little bit uh, maybe more teachy than I kind of like at times, and it could be where you kind of start to fall asleep. And so don't ask someone who's going to also be sleeping to help keep you awake because um, it, it, it doesn't help. And there is a test at the end, so... Um, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 is what we're going to talk about today. Um, there is a lot um, of background that's going on in this, and I think it will help set the stage for what we are going to be teaching through for weeks on in after this. And so I think it, it's important um, for us to lay a good foundation. So if you'd like to flip open to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, this is what... Um, the Bible says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them forty day, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Let's pray. Father God, I um, know that that question of what comes next is something that I face regularly. I know it's something that all of us face regularly. And God, as we open up this book that I think really shows what happened next, and I think um, challenges us to ask ourselves what comes next in our life and on our relationship with you. God, I pray that you'd give um, me the words to speak and that you would help us in um, the next several months as individuals and as a church to really begin to um, not just ask ourselves what comes next, but to ask you what comes next. So God, we again thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Is that me? Yep. There we go. Okay, so um, when you immediately open up the book of Acts, the first thing it says is in the first book. So what does that tell us? It tells us that there's two parts. We're looking at a sequel. Um, rarely do you watch a movie, I'm going to use Back to the Future 2 as a perfect example, you, rarely do you watch a sequel and not refer back, right? Like when, when you watch that sequel, it refers back, and it's the same thing here. So he's saying in the first book, so the first thing that we know about the book of Acts is that it is part two. It's volume two. There's a, there's a first part. And so what is the first part? You, we can tell right in that next word. It says, O Theophilus. So what Theophilus is, it's a name, and it's a name that means friend of God. Now, it could be a specific person whose name is Theophilus. 
If any of you pregnant looking for kids' names, Theophilus could be a good one. But Theophilus, true name, friend of God, but it could also just mean the name for um, anyone who views himself to be a friend of God. So we know that this book is part two. We know it's written to a guy named Theophilus. But the reason why friend of God, why that helps us to identify what is part one is because in the book of Luke, it is written to most excellent Theophilus. If you want to, we're going to talk a little bit about the beginning of the book of Luke since it's two parts, Luke-Acts. Some Bibles will even call it Luke-Acts. Sometimes they'll be put together. Um, And so we're looking at the book of Acts, which is part two. Part one is the book of Luke. It is written to um, Theophilus. But there's a couple other things that we can see as we look through this um, beginning of Luke to help us as we understand the book of Acts, okay? So the first thing is this. In the book of Luke, he says, um, he says, um, let's look where it says it. It says, insomuch as have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as we were from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and ministers Um, of the word and have delivered them to you, it seemed good to me, having followed things closely for some time, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. So the book of Luke was written, and there's two big things that are important. One, there's an attempt for it to be an orderly account. So, So the author of the book of Luke is trying to put it in a chronological order. So Matthew, Mark, and John are not necessarily in any type of chronological order where Luke is is really working towards having this chronological order. So that's one thing that's going to be important as we move forward. The second thing is he says that um, things that were given to him from eyewitnesses. So we have two things. Number one, he was not an eyewitness. The author of of um, the book of Luke did not see all that had happened with Jesus, but he interviewed eyewitnesses. He did thorough research. He, he asked a lot of people. He tried to figure things out so he could write an orderly account. And so it's an eyewitness um, account that he, of him interviewing eyewitnesses. Um, it is widely assumed that it is written by Luke, which is why it's called Luke. Luke um, was a traveling companion of Paul. Um, Paul obviously shows up a little bit later in the book of Acts, and so it's very, very possible and thought, thought that Luke starts to become a travel companion with Paul and starts doing all these eyewitness accounts so he can write this to help the people in that day and age. That one of the things that you'll find really interesting as we get into the book of Acts is there's times where it says they, and then at times where it says we. And so it might say, and they did this. Obviously, he's not there. But then he changes the word and he says, and then we left from here and we went to there. And when that happens, you can begin to see like, so Luke was not a part of some of this. He was just writing about it after eyewitnesses and after what they had shared with him. And then there's other times where he's inserted into the the story, where he is there, where he is explaining things. Now, Luke um, in um, Colossians 4.14 is referred to as the physician. So the, the person who is writing this book, we believe is Luke. He's writing Luke and he's writing Acts. He's got eyewitnesses. He's, he's really trying to interview. He's doing thorough research. He wants to make sure that the information that he's putting down is accurate and that it's in order. So that kind of carries through through the book of Acts. 
So we'll begin to see that, that a lot of this is chronological. We'll be able to see that this is probably after lots of effort of talking to different people who were at these things. Um, and that's why he's explaining the things that he, he is and the way that he is. So important things. It's a physician. He's a smart guy. He's probably a science guy. I feel like we're in a day and age where, where people feel like you either believe in science or you believe in um, religion, is what people will say. That you can't believe in both. But even this, Luke is a, is a physician. He's a science guy. And he's writing this. Um, he's paying a close attention to detail. He's doing research. He's trying to figure it out. There's, um, I don't know if anybody in here has heard of a guy by the name of Lee Strobel, but he was a journalist, and he did not like... Um, Christianity. He, he wanted to do everything he could to prove that Jesus was not who he said he was, that it was not real, and so he did a bunch of research to try to set out to prove that this Christianity thing is a hoax. In the process, he gave his life to the Lord. Because as he was doing all of this research to try to prove that it didn't exist, he was confronted with something. And um, it's, a, it's a cool cool story for his life, but same type of thing of Luke is doing this research, right? So the first thing that then we see right after that is, um, as we go flip back into Acts, is um, in the first book, I, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So what we have here is a summary of the entire book of Luke. What's the entire book of Luke about? It is about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, and even that fits in so well with what we just studied. If, if you've been around here, we really went through a series on how Jesus surrendered, how he submitted his life to Christ. And, and what we said is things like that he surrendered his will to God. He surrendered to have time with God, to, to a work and rest balance, that he surrendered his reputation to God, that he surrendered to a posture of humility, of grace, of love, of compassion. And as we even talk through those, what we really ultimately see is all that Jesus began to do and teach. But that's what the whole book of Luke is about. It's what did Jesus do? What did he teach? And then, um, and then it turns a corner, okay? So he's saying, in the book of Luke, I told you all that Jesus did and taught until he was taken up. After he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the disciples whom he had chosen, and then he says, after, presenting, after suffering and presenting himself alive. So what, what the author here is saying is the book of Luke, what did Jesus do and teach, and then he suffers, and then he dies, and then he presents himself alive. And that's really, it's going through the summary of what the book of Luke is about. But with this, he presented himself alive and gave many proofs. I don't know how many of you have really ever read through just basically the ending of Matthew, of Mark, of Luke, and of John in the very beginning of Acts and just looked at what were the proofs? Well, a couple of them are this, is that Jesus, he, he's dead. He's put into a tomb. There's a big stone that's rolled in front of it. And then three days later, the stone is rolled away. And, the, and Mary and some of the other women, they come and, and the stone is removed and the body's gone. Well, then... Um, he shows up to Mary and Mary. Can you imagine that you see someone die? And three days later, they come back to life. And so he, he comes back and he appears to Mary and Mary. There's another time where he appears to 10 of the disciples, 
Judas isn't there because Judas had betrayed and Thomas isn't there. And the doors are all locked. They're in this upper room. Doors are locked and boom, there's Jesus, the guy who we saw die, the guy who we saw put in the tomb and there he is. And he says, peace be with you. There's another time where he appears to all 11, including Thomas. And Thomas, has, um, Thomas says, unless I touch his wounds, I will not believe. And Jesus says, come, touch the wounds. And so Jesus appears to Mary, to Mary, to the 10, to the 11. He actually, if you really pay close attention, I don't think I've ever noticed this until this past week as I was studying. He appears to the disciples in Jerusalem, in Galilee, and in, back in Jerusalem. And I'd never really just noticed that. But, but as he appears, he appears over a 40-day period of time, and he shows up to the disciples as they're in Galilee, as they're in Jerusalem. He shows up to them, and he eats food. Like, I think that that's such a, such a cool, small thing that Jesus died. He rose again. He's sitting there. He's eating. I love that. He also um, shows up to two guys as they're walking on the road. And as they're walking on the road, they don't realize that it's him. And then toward the end of it, they realize that it, that it was Jesus. And it says that he opened the scriptures from Moses through the prophets. And their hearts burned as he spoke. And so Jesus, he, he, he presents himself alive to Mary and Mary, to the ten, to the eleven, to two on the road. He presents himself alive in Galilee and Jerusalem. He, Peter's gone back, it seems like, gone back to his old way of life. He's back in Galilee and he's fishing. He was a fisherman before, now he's fishing. And Jesus says, hey, let down, the, let down your nets. And he says, we've fished all night, there's nothing. And he, but because you say, oh, he picks it up and he realizes it's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat and swims to see Jesus. But he presents himself alive with many proofs. So over the course of 40 days, actually even in, in 1 Corinthians, it says that Jesus appeared, him, appeared alive to over 500 people at one time. And it said that at that period of time when 1 Corinthians was written, most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So Jesus appears. He dies and he rises and he appears to many different people over 40, different, 40 days Across different places, he presents himself alive. Can you imagine what you'd be asking yourself? What's next? I mean, I, I saw him die. And he came back to life. What does that mean? What comes next? I think that that should be a question that, that faces all of us. If Jesus really said what he said and he really did die, and he really did come back to life, then what is next for us? What do we do with that? But they, in the midst of that, what is next? What happens? We continue reading down. Jesus appears, giving many proofs during a period of 40 days, speaking about the kingdom. And then this is what Jesus says. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. I don't know if you're like me, but like Jesus dies and he rises and I feel like I'm ready just to conquer. Like I'm ready, let's go, let's go do this, let's go tell everybody, let's, you know, like you'd be fired up. Be like when I played 
basketball, well, when I was on the basketball team, I didn't play, but when I was on the basketball team and it was warm-ups and I, the tiger, would kick on and we would run out there like all fired up. Like that's how I feel when I read this, that Jesus died and he rose again. He presents himself alive. Like I feel like I would have been like, let's go, let's do this. And Jesus says, oh, wait. I think that we as a people are horrible at waiting. Horrible at waiting. We don't want to wait. We want to jump in and do, or we want to sit and do nothing. I feel like there's rarely are we people who really do well with waiting. But Jesus, in the midst of this, he says, wait. I think it is so hard for us as a people to wait. And I think that this call for the disciples to wait, like he just presented himself alive over the period of 40 days, and he says, wait. I think what he's encouraging is for the disciples to trust in him. If you think about it, if you, th- if you think about it, um, he's calling them to trust him. Trust him. There was a period of time when I mean, he told them, I am going to die, I will, but I will rise again. And they didn't really trust him. They didn't believe him so much so that when it actually happened, they took off and they scattered. But Jesus, in the midst of them asking themselves what comes next, he's, he's basically saying, wait, he's saying, trust me. Trust me. I think he's also calling the disciples to submit. I think he's also calling them to prepare themselves to obey whatever God calls. Um, Duke has a sentence that he says often that I love, and he says it's something along the lines of, I want to get to a point to where I'm willing to say yes to God before I even know the question. And I think it's this beautiful thing. But as the disciples are here, kind of what comes next, Jesus says, wait. As a parent, I've realized that I almost always have a reason when I give a direction. When I tell my kids don't play in the street, it's because I don't want them to get run over, right? When I tell my kids don't jump up and down on the steps as you come down the steps in the morning, why? Because mom is still asleep, and if we wake her up, it's like poking a bear. I'm just kidding. It's like... <laughs> um, but I have a reason, right? And so Jesus has a reason. He, he's appeared. He's risen. He's, he's proven it to people. And now he says, wait. And he has a reason. And the reason is, is that in a couple days, not many days from now, the Holy Spirit will come. But in the midst of this period of what comes next, He's saying, wait. As you're looking into 2018, what if God's just saying, just wait? Wait on me. Give me time to work. Maybe if you get that news from the doctor that you didn't want to hear, maybe what God's saying is, just wait. Give me an opportunity to work. I have a plan. Maybe when we're looking in in relationships that we have, Are we going to be getting married? When are we getting married? When we look into, are we going to have kids? Can we have kids? We've been trying and it doesn't seem to be working. And when any of those things are going on and we're looking at what comes next, what if we just listened and heard God say, wait? I think he's calling us as individuals and calling us as a church to wait. 
to put our trust in him, to prepare ourselves to submit, and to prepare ourselves to obey. And if you're like me, that is the worst place to be. I don't like to wait. Um, the book of Acts is part two. Luke starts in. The first book tells all about Jesus. Part two, once Jesus has died and has risen, what happens next? And the first thing that happens is wait. God has a plan, even in that waiting. Um, the, the word wait in the, in the Greek, the Greek word that's used there, it means the continuous, repeated action. It's a verb. Um, wait to me is not a continuous. It's like I've already done, I've already waited, I'm now let's get, to, let's get the show on the road. But true waiting is a continuous, repeated action. It's not just sitting and doing nothing, but it's, but it's a verb. It's, it's doing something in the wait. Um, you know, I think that there's many different types of people that are here today. There's people who here who they're kind of new to the whole Jesus thing, new to the whole God thing. Like, what do I think here? And as, as, as the book of Acts says, the book of Luke is all about what Jesus began to do and teach. If, if you are here and you're kind of new to the whole God thing and you're wondering, okay, well, what do I take out of this? My challenge for you in this, as you begin to look at what comes next in your life, that maybe you would even just open up the book of Luke and begin to look at what Jesus did and taught. Who is this Jesus? What do you say? What do you do? That you wouldn't just ask this, what comes next for this year, but that you would ask, what's Jesus like? Maybe um, you know what Jesus is like, you know the things that he did and taught, but, um, but you realize that you're kind of captivated by the world. I can fall into this. Or maybe you realize that, that you kind of are doubting. Did this stuff really happen? This, I mean, the book's like 2,000 years old, and can, it, can we really trust the reliability? And maybe you have some of these things going on in your mind. My challenge, my encouragement would be to ask the Lord to show you some of those proofs. For maybe a 40-day period of time, God, show up. Let me see, let me see you at work. Or maybe, though, you have a relationship with him. Maybe God's just calling you to wait. Maybe he's saying, before you really get rocking and rolling into the new year, come to me. Prepare yourself to trust me, to obey me. Prepare yourself to submit to me and wait on me. Because I have a plan. Um, for us as a church, I think that's a call. And God's saying, come to me, wait on me. I think he wants to lead us as individuals and he wants to lead us as a church. So uh, as you wait, I want you to think through what is he, what is he calling you to, to do in that wait? But again, my hope is that over the course of this year is that we as individuals will wait, prepare ourselves to submit, prepare ourselves to, to obey, and that we will realize that he has a plan. And the Holy Spirit is a huge part of that plan. And uh, that is what we'll be talking about next week. Let's pray. God, I, I, um, 
I come before you hating to wait. I come before you wanting so often to do things in my plan and in my time for my reasons. But God, I pray that you would help me, that you'd help all of us to begin to wait on you. God, that we would really know what you did and taught, that we would, we would see the ways that you prove yourself day in and day out. But God, more than all of that, I truly do pray that as we open up the book of Acts, that you teach us so much about who you are, about what you're like. And as we look at what's next, I pray that we will see all these amazing things that happen throughout the book of Acts and we will realize maybe what we thought we wanted next is not what we should want next. Maybe we'll see that what you have for what's next is beyond all we could ask or imagine. So God, I pray that you would um, show us who you are and lead us to humility. In Jesus' name.